Welcome to Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education podcast for teachers and advisors, brought to you by UEA. Each month, we provide the latest information you need to guide your students through their journey to university, plus hints and tips to help support you in your work. We know you're busy, so we keep each episode to around 20 minutes, just long enough for a cup of coffee. So, pop the kettle on and let's get started. Welcome back to Nurturing Bright Futures, the HE podcast from UBA. My name's Alex, and this month I'm pleased to be joined again by Beth, who's one of our higher education advisors. Hi, Beth. Hiya. Uh, I know you've been on the show before, but can you just remind us which areas you cover? Yep, so I cover Lincolnshire, Bedfordshire, Cambridgeshire, Devon, Cornwall, and then also Greece and Cyprus. (laughs) Fabulous. Thank you very much. So we're into November, and hopefully students will be well underway with things like personal statements. But I just wanted to turn our attention to UCAS references, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will have been asked to write them. So I was just wondering, do the references actually matter? Does anyone actually read them? Yeah, they, they really, really matter to us. I think it's easy for people to say that they don't, uh, similar to when students say that we don't read their personal statements, which we absolutely do, we read everything. So references are just as important as personal statements. We read them alongside each other. Um, they can be the first thing an admissions tutor will read. Um, they matter particularly when it comes to results time, if it's a student that perhaps hasn't got what they were expected to, but we can look at their teacher references to see that actually they were expected to and maybe perhaps something just went wrong in exams. Um, they can also be particularly helpful before results time with borderline students that are just on the cusp of the entry requirements and might tip, help tip over the edge. Um, and it can really help with competitive courses as well, because obviously we have to look at everything for those students and, and kind of like level it out alongside each other. Um, they matter, so they obviously matter with students getting offers. Um, they give us another point of view. So all we know about the student, apart from their grades, is their personal point of view of themselves from the personal statement. So um, we need to see in the referencing that they they link with each other and they work alongside of each other to help support what the student said in the personal statement. Great. So hopefully reassuring that they are actually read and people yeah, aren't wasting their time Yeah, they're absolutely right read, yeah. So what are you actually looking for in the references? So quite a few things really, uh, not to add much pressure, but um, we looked to, for it to be a supporting statement essentially for the personal statements, like I said. Um, it needs to be like fairly honest, <laughs> as honest as possible really, without obviously saying anything negative about the student. Um, we need to know why they're suitable for the course, why you think that might be, whether that's to do with their um, extracurricular activities or their academic studies. Um, we need to know why they're suitable for the course. We need to have their predicted grades. It's really helpful if that's just put at the top of the reference as well, because obviously that's on the UCAS um, data we get, but it's also helpful if it's on the reference. Um, any personal knowledge the tutors might have about the student, that they've had some experiences with them, any context we might need to know about the student, if they've got any sort of extenuating circumstances or if they're in a particularly tough year group at school or if it's a school that perhaps isn't performing as well but the student is a um, particularly good student, things like that, and any extra achievements they've had really, anything the student might have not mentioned in their personal statement that you think helps them stand out is there anything that people um should not include yeah there's quite a few things not to include um and and it it is surprising how many personal reference references even that we read that do have things in it that can cause some flags to come up for us Um, any examples yeah so we get a lot of wide elaboration occasionally um 
or teachers mentioning areas of improvement for a student. We don't need to know anything negative at all, really just keep it positive. Um, so no, no negative remarks either. And we don't want it to be the length of war and peace. Keep it short, really. Okay, great. And if people need a bit more guidance on reference writing perhaps they're new to their role is there anywhere they can go that you yeah recommend? yeah so that's actually what we provide help with that if it's needed and we can come out to schools and we've got a really good workshop we can provide we actually often do it for um, teachers that are new to referencing perhaps they've just started working in a sixth form and it's completely alien to them so we can go in and do a workshop with them kind of we have some funny examples of some past references we've got and we work through it to help them look at a structure of what it should be like that sounds great. So if people do want to take you up on that offer of a bit more help, what do they need to do? So they just need to drop us an email and, and then it'll get back to one of us for our region. And that's um, schools at uea.ac.uk. Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education advice podcast for teachers and advisors. Brought to you by UEA. So this month we're joined by Louise Ewing and Will Penny from our School of Psychology. Hi guys, thanks for joining us. Hi. 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 So, you've joined us to tell us some exciting news about a new course, but before we get on to that, can you tell us a little bit more about the school in general, perhaps, Will? Sure, yeah. Of all the uh, research-intensive psychology departments in the country, um, we're, we're the newest. Um, we started in 2012 with just a handful of students, and now we have uh, over 280 students in each mm. year. And... Uh, one of the things we're particularly proud of is the, is the facilities and the resources we have in the department. Uh, in our experimental psychology labs, we have equipment such as EEG for tracking the electrical activity of the brain, TMS to, to, to uh, basically zap parts of the brain and elicit different behaviours, uh, eye trackers, a virtual reality suite, and on another tack, we're really proud of our um, sort of employment initiatives to help get people into work after they've completed their degree. So we do lots of placements, internships and Dragon's Den events. Oh, that's really important. Yeah, that's really, really important. And that's something UEA prides itself on, so I'm glad to hear that's in psychology as well. So we've got the new computational psychology course. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start off by giving you a bit of a sense of how it fits into our general program yes. of, of courses. So we offer um, a straight BSc in psychology for undergraduate students, and with that they can either do it in three years or extend it to a four-year course if they'd like to take a year abroad or um, do a placement year, which is a new program we're starting where students can spend a year out working full-time in industry, developing skills relevant to psychology, which has become really quite popular. And within the BSE, there's, there's students, depending on what they choose to specialise in and what aspects of psychology they're really passionate about, they can take different pathways through the course. And so we have, for a while, allowed students to specialise in cognitive psychology, developmental psychology or social psychology. And as of 2020, students can also choose to do a computational BSE in psychology. For most of these courses, the computational course being uh, a little different, the first and second years are common, so they do all the okay. same kind of coursework. It really relates to the modules that they choose for their final year, the sort of specialist options, um, and the research project that they do. For, for most of the courses as well, uh, just a flag, the entry requirements are ABB, but the exception to that, again, is, is our sort of special computational course, which is a higher entry of AAB. I think Will can fill you in on a little bit of the, the nitty-gritty of that course. Yes, absolutely. So the big picture is, is this course really lies at the intersection of, of psychology, neuroscience and computer science. And, um, I mean, really, it's, it's the sort of course that 
many of us in the department would like to have taken when we were mm. 18 years old, but, but we couldn't because there was no such course. <laughs> Courses like this have been developed at the postgraduate level, so you can do a master's in computational psychology at a number of institutions, but this is the first course that's taken that to the undergraduate level, so it's really unique in that sense in the UK. And um, I mean, psychology is the, is the scientific study of brain and behavior. And that science has now progressed so that we really have quantitative models mm -hmm. of uh, theories about brain activity and about behavior, such as reinforcement learning and predictive coding theory. And to understand those theories and to, and to push this onto the next level, we really need to have a new generation of psychologists who have the quantitative skills along with the usual skills that every psychologist has. So, as Louise was saying, it's, you'd come out of this uh, as a psychologist mm -hmm. um, with a psychology degree, but you will, uh, in the first year, for example, do modules in programming. Uh, so if you never programmed a computer before, then you would learn how to. Mm -hmm. uh, modules in maths, this would build on the A-level maths that, that is required for you yeah. to join the course. And then in, in the second year, there's a new core module on computational psychology, which really brings together the two themes of psychology and computing, how they work together, and how, how can they can help us understand brain and behavior at a deeper level. Then in the um, third year, we have uh, the opportunity to take two, um, two out of four specialized computer science modules from artificial intelligence, computer vision, audiovisual processing, machine learning. And you know, these are established modules from the computer science curriculum. And you also can take modules from the standard psychology curriculum. Mm -hmm. And then finally, importantly, you'll be doing a, a project in your third year with uh, an experienced computational psychologist. So, so as we were saying at the top of this, um, you know, the department's grown hugely, both in terms of student numbers, but also in terms of staff, of mm. course. And, and we now, recently we were recruited heavily in the area of computation and brain imaging. And so as a third year student, you'll have an opportunity to, to do a project uh, uh, with an expert in, in those fields. So it's really very different to what, some students might have studied psychology at A-level. I, I know they don't have to have that for the degree, but it's really a whole different area that we're going into if they chose this course. Absolutely, and I think we're really excited about providing those yeah. students that have those particular interests with an opportunity to see how they can apply to, to understanding brain and behaviour. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. So if you're a sixth form teacher or advisor like me, mm -hmm. what kind of things in a student would you be looking for? What might make them suitable for the course? Well, anyone really, I, well, focusing back on the requirements mm. of, of AAB with an A in maths yeah. and then one other science and then a third subject, whatever that is. But generally, you know, any, any student who's interested in mind, brain and behaviour on the one hand and then maths and computing on the other. Yep. So it's basically really the intersection of those. Email schools at uea.ac.uk to find out what we can do to support your school. Okay, so as you said, this course is usually delivered in a PG format to other universities, so we're quite unique for having that as an undergraduate programme. Is that right to say that? Yeah, I, I believe so. I don't think anyone else is, is doing it at this level. And, and in a way, I think that's a, that's a real shame because mm. undergraduate students or students coming out of at sixth form, I think, really do have the capacity to be engaging with a lot of these ideas and, and building up skills like their, their computational skills, 
as, as Will, I think, mentioned, that there's no requirement for students to have done a lot of computing beforehand. They will come onto the course as, you know, taking modules in first year um, computer science. They'll be learning that coding um, with the other students and developing those skills. Yeah. So it's kind of it's a response to what the industry want, really, if we're providing these graduates. So they're going to be have really good work experience elements when they come out, be highly employable. Um, but if it's a, it's a common first two years, you said, with the other psychology students, is that right? So do they have the option to opt out of computational psychology if they change their minds? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a real strength of, of the course options, all of the course options, yeah. actually, that we offer here at UEA. We know that a lot can happen over the mm. course of three or four years. And, and because of the way that the course is structured, students absolutely have the option to switch between the different programs. Unfortunately, students can't switch on to the computational yes. course, obviously, yeah. because of the extra components. But if a student was doing the the computational course and, and halfway through first year decided that maybe this wasn't what they wanted, absolutely no issue. They can fill in a form and transfer onto the straight BSE. Not a problem. Okay, I don't think any of them will be doing that anymore. No, they'll love it. It's good to have the option. <laughs> good to have the option. Um, so because it's a new course, there isn't a year abroad or a placement year. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. At the moment, it stands alone as a three-year program. And I think, although it's a bit of a shame that they maybe can't join the placement year, for example, mm. as you said, I think the employability options for these graduates is going to be amazing. I think both in the research context, this mm. is a really you know, big, big field in, in our discipline, but also, you know, in terms of all kinds of professional settings, I think there are lots of places where people are valuing um, confidence uh, and skills in terms of manipulating data, big data sets, being able to um, apply high-level statistics and analysis to these kinds of things. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different industries. I think we'll, we were coming up with a list the other day of, of all, all kinds of really interesting places that students could take these skills. Okay, Absolutely. so yeah, where do you foresee the careers for these students being? What kind of destinations are we looking at? Well, uh, fundamentally, you would come out as a, a psychologist yeah. with a psychology degree, so you'd be able to go into the standard areas such as you know, educational, clinical, forensic psychology, social, work, you know, social areas, but also you could work in areas such as you know, AI, human-machine interaction, user experience design, and of course the whole massive area now of data analytics and data science. You know, we, we live in a, in a digital age with huge amounts of data on the internet that we have to navigate. And although, for example, something like big learning, uh, sorry, deep learning, is, uh, you know, has been a fundamental breakthrough in this last decade. In 10 years, you know, people will most likely not be doing that and they won't be using the particular software that's used now. So really this course would be future-proofing you. You'd learn the core mm -hmm. mathematical and programming uh, concepts so that you could apply them to what was needed after you graduate yeah. and to develop the new generation of technology and so that you'd really have that you'd be working with it rather than, yeah. than against it like. so what the careers advisors might be finding is because I, I don't I think it's unlikely they're going to get students coming to them asking specifically for this course but it's this is why this podcast is perfect so they need to be thinking about students that are coming to them asking for psychology they need to be thinking okay this student's got a strong mathematical background um, or even computing have you thought about computational psychology? So it needs to be one of those ones that we're encouraging students to think a bit more outside of the box with, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think to, to, to think about ways that they, yeah, if they're particularly strong in those areas and they're looking for kind of applied mm. ways that they can be engaging with those skills and thinking about different professions, I'd really encourage them to consider computational psychology.
Yeah, I will as well. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, guys, for coming in to talk to us about that. I feel like I've got a really great understanding of the course now, and I'll be able to talk to students about it. So hopefully, teachers listening will feel the same. And um, so I understand that you'll be giving a talk online one for students now, directed particularly about this course. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So um, through the sort of channel talent program mm -hmm. of events, uh, we're going to be doing an online guest lecture with hopefully some integrated activities to give students a bit of a clearer sense of what this course might actually involve for them. Oh, that's great. I've taken part in a few of those now and they work really, really well. So how can teachers sign their schools up for these? Ah, so uh, they can just go to channeltalent.co.uk and have a look at the programme of events and I understand you can sign up that way. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on to speak to us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to our podcast now and make sure you never miss another episode. Okay, that's it for another month. Thank you very much, Beth, for joining us again. Thank you for having me. Uh, just before we go, I just want to let you know uh, we have launched a new email newsletter which is designed specifically for parents and carers of young people who might be considering university. So I'll pop a link in the show notes or you can go online and search UEA Parents. Uh, that should take you to the form to sign up. So if you do have any parents or carers at your school who you think might be interested, please do encourage them to sign up. They'll get a monthly newsletter full of top tips, support and guidance, and also reminders of key dates throughout the years. So uh, we hope it will be really useful. Uh, also to note that if you're a Spotify user, we're now on Spotify, so you can uh, like and subscribe to us on there. And to email us, schools at uea.ac.uk, if there's anything we can do to help. That's it for this month's episode of Nurturing Bright Futures. We would absolutely love to hear from you. To book a visit, make a suggestion, or ask us a question, drop us a line at schools at uea.ac.uk. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>